Morning, everyone. Um, as Lou said, my name is Josh, and uh, I have the privilege of leading the students' ministry here at Bosch. And um, yeah, as Lou said, we just finished O Week, and it was a lot of fun. We um, had quite a few gatherings, and um, Alan mentioned the joy of having some voices in his house again, and it's really feeling like things are starting to open up again. There's a real sense of community amongst our student group. And um, so yeah, it's been really great. It has been full on. Um, some of the highlights, I think there are some pictures that can come up. We had a beach day. Um, the, we had some free pizzas. They disappeared in about five minutes. Um, I don't know if everyone was actually a, visiting the Common Ground event, but uh, anyways, I think they enjoyed the free pizza. We also had a, had a cool hike up Constantia Neck. Um, and last night we had a student night market, and yeah, it really did turn into a bit of a DJ uh, dance party towards the end, which was unexpected, but fun, nevertheless. Um, yeah, and so if there are any students um, with us this morning, I'd love to meet you, so please would you come up and introduce yourself after this meeting. Uh, this morning I have um, called the sermon that I'm going to give the stunning reality of the gospel. And essentially, my main point today is almost a dual, a dual point, um, and that is that seeing the stunning reality of the gospel is what motivates us to share it. Seeing the stunning reality of the gospel is what motivates us to share it. The, the sermon is based off um, a text in the book of Romans, and I landed up selecting this, this text and the sermon because in my progression through the Bible at the start of this year, I find myself reading through Acts and Romans, and what kept standing out to me was the boldness that the Apostle Paul has when he shares the gospel. It, it struck me how confidently he shares it, especially to a world that did not want to receive it from him, did not want to hear it from him at all. Um, often I'm not confident to share the gospel. And um, I'm sure there are many of us who can relate to having an awkward moment when wanting to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know it. We, we start to have the conversation with the person and hope for an opportunity where we can begin to subtly slide in some kind of gospel message, all the while our hearts are pumping and um, our hands are sweating. And uh, yeah, we just really want the conversation to be over. I think in many ways we feel like um, this man in the, the video that we have about to play. Morning, Jim. Robert. Hey. Hi, Jim. Tree kiss. I think in, in many ways, I am Jim. I really feel like Jim. And um, so it really stuns me when, when I look at Paul and see his amazing boldness in, the, in his interactions with others. And besides his boldness, Paul has this um, strong desire to be on mission. He, he genuinely wants to share the gospel with people that haven't yet received it or accepted its claims. 
Um, and so I've, I've felt my heart stirred towards this um, at the start of this year, and it seems to be a theme that is pressing on the hearts of many other people in this congregation. And I, I think about last week, how Donnie Griggs was with us and encouraged us to hold out Jesus to a hurting world. That was one of his points. Um, I don't know, maybe it's been stirring your heart too. I believe that there are um, some wonders in God's word that are going to motivate us to that kind of action this morning. So the text we'll be looking at today is in Romans, as I said. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to there. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, um, but we'll focus on specifically verses 16 and 17. And at this point in, in the letter, um, Paul is writing this letter, and he is presenting what may be considered almost a theme for, uh, for this letter. And the theme could be summed up with something along the lines of the gospel of God's righteousness through faith. So I'm going to read through the text. It's also on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, and then I'll pray. From verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather before you, Lord. We, we praise you, um, yeah, as we sung this morning. You are a wonderful God, and we, we love to sing of your grace towards us. God, I pray that you would presence yourself amongst us um, for the rest of this morning, that you would help us to understand what your word has to say. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Yeah, Father, we love you, and um, we long to know more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So while in this um, text we get a sense of Paul's heart for sharing the gospel, we also have a wonderfully rich and deep presentation of what the gospel actually is. And as I've wrestled more with this text, I've um, come to understand that the way Paul sees the gospel is his confidence for sharing the gospel. Paul clearly sees the gospel as something that is immensely precious and that very practically moves him to boldness in sharing that gospel message. Where do I get that from? Let's briefly look at the structure of the text before diving in. So starting at verse 14, we can see that Paul feels a certain obligation towards all kinds of people, and this obligation works itself out in being eager to preach the gospel, in, as he says in verse 15. But that eagerness, as he then goes on to explain in verse 16, is grounded on or based on the fact that he's not ashamed of the gospel. We know this because he continues that sentence with for. So he says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Again, we can see that he grounds what he's just said. He provides a, a reason for what he's just said in the rest of his sentence by continuing again with another for. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Once more, Paul gives a reason for this in the next sentence. So verse 17 begins with, For in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Now, when we piece each of these statements back together, we begin to see Paul's line of thought throughout the passage. He's, he's in the process of building an argument here, and each time he's using the word for, he's furthering the argument. He's almost saying because. So paraphrasing each line and putting it back together, we get the following. I'm obligated to all types of people. Therefore, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you Romans because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith for faith. So this very clear kind of logic is why I mentioned that Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel comes from how he sees the gospel. He sees it in a particular way. He's got a very high view of the gospel, and that is what it truly is. It truly is high and precious and powerful. And so in order to get to a place where we are bold in sharing the gospel, we need to understand how Paul viewed the gospel. In order to, to do that, we're going to look at two big points. Um, firstly, what is the gospel, or how does Paul define it, and how do we go about boldly sharing this? So, firstly, what is the gospel? The word gospel is an English translation of the Greek word which means good news. So the gospel is a message, it's a declaration of something that contains some kind of good news. The way I summed it up is that the gospel is the good news that though we as sinners are enemies of God and rightly deserve his wrath, he has forgiven us and given us new life with him through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. The nature of this message is news. It's, um, imagine getting a push notification on your cell phones from News 24 that says, breaking news, forgiveness and life provided through Jesus to the unworthy. And that sounds um, perhaps cliched or straightforward, but I say this because I think we often turn the gospel into almost a way of life or um, some kind of good counsel as opposed to treating it like breaking news of what has been done for us. So that's my summary of Paul's gospel message but let's look more closely at how Paul describes it in this passage. Firstly, Paul believes that the gospel is the mighty power of God to save. He says in verse 16 of Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But what does Paul mean when he says the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, or for salvation to all who believe? Paul means that in the wisdom and the pleasure of God, this is the good news and this is the message that God has designed to save people. This message alone is the means that God has chosen to save everyone who believes. It's almost as if he's given this news bulletin of, of this, this message real saving power when people hear it. To unpack this a bit more, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians where Paul uses very similar phrases. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. I'll read it for us. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So as you can see, there are very similar terms being used here where Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the word of the cross to us who are being saved is the power of God. There is very clearly a similarity in these passages. And what Paul makes clear here is that it is the inherent nature of the gospel message that saves people. What's, what's the reason for this? Verse, verse 21 says plainly, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleased God that this foolish sounding message of Jesus or yeah, Christ being crucified on the cross for our sins would be the message that saves people. And part of this is to humble any human boasting. There is no other message by which we are saved. He actually goes on to use the Corinthians who he's um, writing that letter to as evidence for what he's just said, explaining how not many of them were wise or noble or powerful um, by worldly standards, and yet God chose them and called them, and in hearing the message of the gospel, they believed and were saved. And so perhaps you may tick some of those boxes. Perhaps you are um, wise or intelligent by worldly standards or powerful or noble, um, yet you aren't saved because of any of that. You're, you're not saved because you were in a good position to hear the gospel. You're saved because of this powerful message itself. I'd like to, to just pause here for a bit and, and talk more about the folly, the foolishness or stupidity of this message. I think for many of us, myself included, there is a fear of sharing the gospel which arises from the possibility of sounding like a fool. And I think it takes on many forms. I think when we read, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, we jump to perhaps um, some kind of self-justification which says, well, I, I don't experience any sense of full-blown you know, shame for, for Jesus. But I think rather it, it almost takes on a more subtle kind of embarrassment. Um, perhaps I'm afraid that the person that I share the good news with might insult me behind my back or, or laugh at me. And I think it is important to recognize that this is a possibility. Um, it, it really is entirely possible that we will look like a fool. Paul openly says it here. He says, through the folly, the foolishness of what we preach. There, there are many people who currently don't follow Jesus who think so. A, a prime example is shown in this quote from a world famous scientist and atheist, Richard Dawkins, who wrote a famous book called The God Delusion. He says, I provided, provided cogent arguments against a supernatural intelligent designer, but it does seem to me to be a worthy idea, referring to the notion of a, a creator. Refutable, but nevertheless grand and big enough to be worthy of respect. Listen to how he continues, however. I don't see the Olympian gods or Jesus coming down and dying on the cross as worthy of that grandeur. They strike me as parochial. So here we have a prime example of a world-leading atheist, a very intelligent man, acknowledging that 
the idea of an all-powerful creator God is grand, but thinking that the idea of that God coming down to earth to die for us is narrow-minded and petty. There, there genuinely is a possibility of sounding like a fool. In addition to, to sounding like a fool, we might also sound offensive. And I think there is a lot in the, in the biblical worldview, uh, or at least in the morals of the biblical worldview, that um, will offend people, especially in today's day and age. You can pick any matter from its stance on sexuality to gender to a, num a number of, the, of today's trendy views that um, pop up on social media, that demand our rage and our outbursts. But at the very heart of the gospel message is a worldview that, oh sorry, at the very heart of the, of the biblical worldview is this gospel message that is far more offensive than any of the morals that that worldview also contains. The gospel declares that there is one all-powerful God who created everything in it, including you and me, and that as creator, he has complete rights over his creation. The gospel declares that the same all-powerful, perfect God in his immense love and mercy took on weak human flesh and became a poor, nobody, Jewish peasant man in the backwater nation of Israel 2,000 years ago and then died by hanging on a cross. The gospel declares that God himself died on a cross. What part of that is not offensive when you take a step back and consider those claims? Long before you get into any of the Christian morals, there is a gospel that is deeply offensive. And yet in spite of this foolish and offensive sounding message, this message alone is the message that God has chosen to save people. We begin to grasp why Paul says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So to sum up this point so far, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe because God has designed this foolish sounding message to be powerfully effective to those who hear it and receive it with faith. This was the, one of the first things that Paul says about the gospel in this passage of Romans that we are looking at this morning. And so what else does Paul say? Paul also says that the gospel is the amazing display of God's righteousness. So let's look again at Romans 1.17. Paul says, for in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What is meant by the righteousness of God? And how is it revealed in the gospel? I think Paul is probably referring to two things here. Firstly, the righteousness of God likely refers to God's character as righteous, his character as, as morally good and just and right. Another place where Paul uses similar terms is in Romans chapter three, verses 23 to 26. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. He continues, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So after that wonderful but very wordy description of um, 
how we are made right with God through Jesus, Paul says that it, it all happened to show God's righteousness. God is perfect and just in all that he does, and he demands perfection from us, his image-bearing creation. And he has treated all of us better than what we deserved because, as he says, all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned and failed to honor God as God. And if God were truly righteous, if he were truly fair and good, then there would necessarily have to be some kind of punishment for that offense. There needs to be um, punishment so that God can meet the demands of his holy nature. The gospel, therefore, shows that God is indeed righteous because he's dealt out that punishment on Christ on the cross. I also love this passage because it shows that the gospel is primarily not actually about us. God is showing his own righteousness when he sends Jesus to the cross. Yes, he is dying to save us. Yes, he loves us, but he's proving his righteousness. He's upholding his own name by doing that. So that's one of the connotations that Paul has when he says the righteousness of God is revealed. The second thing that I think Paul is referring to is probably a righteousness that comes from God. This is, could be similarly described as a right standing before God, a legal right standing which is given to us from God. So again, in Romans chapter three, if we look at verses 21 and 22, the, that uh, meaning is carried a bit more clearly. Verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul has in mind here a righteousness that comes from God as, and is in fact given to us by God. And it comes through faith in Jesus, as verse 22 says. This is, this is clearly different from God's character as morally righteous because God's character does not come through faith in Jesus. God's character is his character. This is a, a righteousness that is given to us. It is a legal right standing that God gives us when we place our trust in him as our hope for forgiveness. And while I think both of these connotations are present in Romans 1 where Paul talks about the righteousness of God, I think the, the latter connotation is, is emphasized. When we consider the rest of, of Romans 1.17, we see that in, in that sentence. Seven, Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That quote at the end of that verse is from an Old Testament book called Habakkuk, and it refers to a man who is righteous, he's, he's righteous as he lives by faith. So Paul is essentially saying the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith in the same way that Habakkuk spoke about a man who is righteous by faith. And I think there we get a sense that this righteousness of God that Paul is speaking about is a righteousness that is bestowed to us. Here's where the gospel being good news really is shown to be good news. You see, a necessary component of the gospel involves the fact that we desperately need to be saved from the wrath of God. Immediately after Paul defines the theme of his message, defines the gospel, he says in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Paul is essentially saying, the gospel is the power of God to save because it reveals the righteousness of God. And this is necessary because God's wrath is being revealed against our unrighteousness. And it truly is frightening to consider our condition before a holy God. God's wrath is not uh, just an awkward topic that we can skirt around and perhaps ignore. It is a reality that Paul was thoroughly aware of, and, and he dives straight into it when he gives the gospel message. The biggest problem in our lives is not what we may think it is. The biggest problem in our lives is not a poor reputation before others. It's not the busyness of our work lives and the pressures that come by that. It's not broken relationships. All of these things are problems, but they are not the ultimate problem. The, the, biggest, the biggest problem, the most ultimate problem that all of us face as sinful people is that God's wrath is firmly set against us and something needs to be done to appease that wrath. There's a price that needs to be paid for our offense to God. And the stunning news about this gospel is that God has provided us with a righteousness, an alien righteousness in Christ. God's amazing, powerful gospel message gives us the good news that he has forgiven us and given us life with him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is why we can sing the songs that we sing or that we have sung this morning. I love that line in, um, in Cornerstone, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. When we put our faith in Christ, we take on his righteousness. By the grace of God, he gives us a righteousness that we don't deserve and that was won by someone else. This truly is a precious, precious gift. So to sum up this point, the, the gospel, as Paul says, reveals God's righteousness. And now that we have examined more closely how Paul defines the gospel, we can try and answer the question, how do we boldly share this gospel? How do we boldly share this gospel? Earlier on, I said that my main point was that seeing the stunning reality of the gospel motivates us to share it. And I think as we just start to let the puzzle pieces fall into place, we can almost see that quite clearly. Paul has said that the gospel reveals a righteousness of God that comes from God, which we can freely obtain by faith. This makes the gospel a wonderfully powerful message, the very power of God to save hopeless and lost sinners like you and me, and keep us as believers to the very end. That's the reason why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. And his not being ashamed is the reason why he's eager to preach it. When we truly become amazed at this, this incredible gospel news, that God has given us a righteousness through this powerful saving message, boldly sharing that message naturally follows. I'd like us to consider another passage from 1 Corinthians, where again we see something incredible in Paul, uh, in Paul's attitude. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I find it immensely comforting to read this. The great missionary and apostle Paul, the man who wrote just under half of the letters of the New Testament, did not rely on lofty speech or wisdom. He did not rely on eloquent arguments. He goes as far as to say his message was not in plausible words of wisdom. That gives me an excuse. If this is incoherent, I am not coming in plausible words of wisdom. He used very simple, down-to-earth language, and he did this deliberately so that their faith would rest solely in the power of God, in the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. What a joy it is that God chooses to save people through this incredible message. What a relief it is that I do not have to have the most philosophically profound and accurate argument for the existence of God before I'm, in, I'm enabled to share my faith with someone else. Because you see, there, there is a way we can avoid feeling foolish or ashamed or embarrassed. And the way in which we can do that is the way we do it all the time. We keep up a good appearance of ourselves towards those we interact with. We do all that we can to be liked by them, and if we are interacting with people who, who are not Christ followers, that would probably involve not sharing the gospel. But this is distinctly not what Paul does. He was shamed many, many times, and yet he decided to share the gospel, despite the fact that it made him look unintelligent, unsophisticated, probably ignorant, um, foolish to the Greeks, and despite that, the same gospel stirred up deep anger and offense in the Jews, he shared it. He felt obligated towards his lost brothers and sisters, and out of a sense of love, he shared the gospel, fully knowing that it alone is the power of God to save. What an example to follow. And we can draw confidence from Paul because there are similarities between Paul's situation and ours. In Paul's day and age, sharing the gospel was offensive because of what people expected God to, to be like and his gospel said something else. Sharing the gospel posed a danger to Paul's life. In our day and age, sharing the gospel is offensive because most people in our society probably think it's intolerant or arrogant to make any truth claim over another truth claim. So while sharing the gospel for Paul posed a danger to his life, sharing the gospel for us poses a real danger to our reputation. But again, truly seeing the reality of the gospel and truly loving our fellow brothers and sisters would lead us to share the gospel. It's the most loving and tolerant thing we can do, actually, to put up with someone who, who does not accept this message and share it with them in spite of that. I think there also may be many faithful people amongst us who perhaps feel you are not confident in, in your ability to share the gospel message. Perhaps you worry that you won't be able to have all the answers to, to common objections that would be raised. Or perhaps you'll be so bad at sharing the gospel that you'll make the gospel look bad. I think that is a, it is a valid fear. I think on the one hand, there is a, a tension, well, there's a tension to be held because on the one hand, I think there's a call for us to do some study to practice sharing the gospel, to practice and search for those answers. Because as Peter says, it's important for us to, at any time, give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. But on the other hand, I think we come again to this message from Paul, that 
sharing the gospel with someone else doesn't so much depend on you as it does about the gospel message itself. The gospel alone has the power to save those who believe. It's not dependent on your eloquent presentation of the gospel. And often what, what um, I find is that even though I may be anxious to share the gospel with um, people close to me who don't believe it, and they may poke fun at me when I do, it's often the same people when um, things are going wrong in their life that end up coming back and asking for prayer um, when it most matters to them. So as we begin to, to close, I see very practical applications to us as Christ followers and for, us as, for, for any of us who are, who are with, with us this morning who are not Christ followers. To Christ followers, firstly, it's important to notice that Paul is addressing believers in his letter to the Romans, and even in the section when he defines the theme of his letter. Verse 16 says in, in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Which is, it's weird, I've never read it in that way before, but the gospel is salvation to you believers. We see it very clearly as well as he opens the letter with um, Romans 1 verse 7 and 8. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And again, he continues into verse 8. I thank my God because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So when Paul says in verse 15 that he's eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, he's expressing eagerness to preach the gospel to people who are ready believers. I don't know if you've ever heard the the phrase or the, the term, uh, you never graduate from the gospel. One of the pastors here, Garth, always says that to me. Uh, Tim Keller says it in a better way, though. He says, the gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can wade and yet an elephant can swim. It is both simple enough to tell a child and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. And I think that is a great source of encouragement for those of us in the room who have maybe passed the age of 40, as Alan said, and have three pairs of glasses. You may have heard the gospel message hundreds, if not thousands of times, and yet it's important to recognize because it's the same gospel message, this miraculous power of God that saved you, that will save you on the final day. Put in another way, the same gospel message that saved you is the gospel message that sanctifies you meaning it's the gospel that causes you to grow in holiness and to keep you secure in your faith until Jesus returns. And a whole series of, of sermons could be preached on that wonderful truth, so I can't get into it fully here, but if, if anything, this is a call to us as Christ followers to come back again and again to the stunning reality of the gospel, to meditate on it and to rejoice over it, to remember it and to remind others of it. That's part of the reason why we have communion. This message is the power of God to save you because it reveals a righteousness which you need every single day. Very practically then, this is the first application of this text for you, Christ followers, is to continue to walk in, in a daily walk of faith. Secondly, I believe that um, this is a challenge to us as Christ followers to share the gospel with um, those of us around us that see it as foolishness. As I, as I said at the beginning, I, I don't think I particularly share the gospel well. I don't think I have a gift of evangelism. But often I, I think that I subtly use that as an excuse 
for not wanting to share the gospel. If, if I'm being honest, perhaps a part of me is a little bit embarrassed when I, when I share the gospel. And perhaps that's me not recognizing the, the truly incredible gift that it, that it is. So this is a call for us to have the same kind of obligatory love that Paul has for the lost. Not a disdain or frustration towards them, but a sense of urgency in wanting to share the message with them. I'd like to ask the band to come up. The other point of application is for those of us who are not Christ followers, if there are any in the room. The gospel always um, presents a wonderful moment of invitation. There is a free offer of grace um, from Jesus, and this is a moment when you could be bold and receive that offer. I love, I love what Jesus says in, in Revelation, where he, he talks about, or he, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And that's really referring to the personal saving relationship that you would have with Jesus if you would just receive the gospel message and put your hope and your faith and your trust in that message for your salvation. So I'm gonna ask us to stand and I'm gonna pray for, for Christ followers and those who are not Christ followers alike and those who would like to put their faith in Jesus. Heavenly Father, Firstly, I just want to pray to you on behalf of the Christ followers in the room this evening. God, I pray that um, this text would stir our hearts to see your gospel for how truly amazing it is. For the fact that this is a powerful message and it's a message that we can never tire of hearing. A message that we indeed need to hear over and over again. It's the message, message by which we are being saved. God, we praise you and we thank you for such a wonderful and glorious message. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those in the room who perhaps feel that this message has grown old on them and is, is feeling dry and um, old. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, breathe new life into those hearts that are feeling that today that your gospel would be something fresh to them, something exciting again. Lord, I pray for those of us who are Christ followers that having that sense of freshness and excitement about the gospel, truly seeing it for as beautiful and precious as it is, would motivate us to boldness in sharing it. God, I pray that you would give us boldness, that we really would hold your son Jesus out to a hurting world that desperately needs him. We know, Father, that this is the only message by which anyone will be saved. Father, I also pray for those of us in the room who perhaps don't consider themselves Christ followers and yet would like to make this, um, or take this opportunity to accept the invitation of your grace towards them. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would be welcoming them into your kingdom, that you would, as it were, enter through the door and go in and eat with them. So if that is you, why don't you pray with me under your breath. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you, I see you, 
I believe that you died on the cross, that you paid the penalty for my sin, that you died and, and you rose again, and by your resurrection, you have been declared king of kings. You have been declared the king of the world. And through you, through your work, through your blood, I accept the free gift of forgiveness from God, and I receive the free gift of my sonship or my daughtership with you.